Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Do Hongyu. Coming up in this edition, former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to conspiring to overturn the 2020 presidential election result. Protesters have taken to the streets of Niger in a peaceful demonstration, calling for an end to sanctions imposed by West African states. And Beijing has begun counting the costs from this week's devastating floods, while neighboring Hebei province is still battling surging waters. Starting in North America, former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to conspiring to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election. Trump made a brief appearance in a Washington court on four charges related to his actions after his election defeat. Philip Crowther has more. Not guilty of the plea from the former president, not surprisingly, in a very short appearance here in this courthouse in Washington D.C., a very short walk away from the U.S. Capitol. It was just under 30 minutes that Donald Trump spent in this courtroom. He was sitting at the defendant's table, flanked by his two lawyers, saw the judge. Uh, the uh, special counsel as well, and、uh, was able to put in that not guilty plea, and that was pretty much it from the former president. He spent a very short time here in the U.S. Capitol and flew off again to his golf club in New Jersey. Just about enough time for him to give a very short statement to media on the tarmac, decrying、uh, this case again as political interference and criticizing the city in which it is taking place. When you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. Now it's a big logistical challenge that is coming Donald Trump's way, as long as as well as, of course, a huge legal challenge, because this is a man who's campaigning for the White House. He is the favorite to become the nominee for the Republican Party. He will continue on the campaign trail, all the while having to defend himself, together with his lawyers. In three separate courtrooms, in three criminal cases, in three separate U.S. cities, and the next court dates are coming. The 28th of August, we will see the next hearing here in Washington D.C. in this criminal case. Though Donald Trump is not necessarily expected to attend that hearing, there were no mass demonstrations for Donald Trump or indeed against him here. He had not put out a call for his supporters to come out here on mass, and indeed they didn't. Just a few dozen Trump supporters here, at best, and quite a few people here as well to celebrate his indictment. That was Philip Crowther reporting. In South America, a six-month ceasefire is now in effect in Colombia between the government and the National Liberation Army, or ELN, the country's largest remaining rebel group. The truce follows ten months of negotiations between the authorities and ELN. And marks an important step in an ongoing peace process. Michelle Beggy has more from Bogota. This six-month truce will be the longest pause in the conflict since the ELN declared war against the government in 1964. Political analysts have expressed skepticism about the ceasefire, but with a lot of hope from Colombian citizens. Let's hear what some Colombians on the street have to say. Ojalá lo logremos. I hope we make it because we have had more than 60 years of killing between Colombians, and the war only leaves pain and sadness. And there are no winners or losers. Anything done for peace is welcome. What really moves me is our chance to participate, because for us, peace means being heard and having social justice measures. 
The ceasefire is supported internationally as just yesterday the United Nations Security Council unanimously voted to expand the mandate of the UN verification mission to monitor the ceasefire. The parties verifying the ceasefire can agree to extend it beyond the next 180 days. That was Michelle Beggy reporting from Colombia. In Africa, protesters have poured to the streets of Niger calling for an end to sanctions imposed by a bloc of West African states. The demonstrations coincided with the 63rd anniversary of the West African nation's independence from France. The military leaders say they will end the mandates of its ambassadors to several states, including France and the United States. Meantime, they continue to face pressure from world leaders to reinstate outstate president Mohamed Bazoum. Deji Badamose reports from neighboring Nigeria. The pro-coup demonstrators gathered in the country's capital to demonstrate their support for the new military regime of General Abdurrahmani Tiani. They denounced the West African ECOWAS bloc and other Western countries that have condemned the coup against President Mohamed Bazoum. In a televised address to the nation, the self-declared leader General Tiani says is open to dialogue and would work towards a short and peaceful transition timetable that will lead to general elections. Meanwhile, defense chiefs from the region held a meeting in the Nigerian capital Abuja to work out strategy for a possible military intervention to restore democracy in Niger. ECOWAS says it is still exploring diplomatic measures to get General Tiani and his men back to the barracks and reinstate President Bazoum to office. It says a military option would be a last resort. U.S. President Joe Biden has called for Bazoum's immediate release and the restoration of democracy in Niger. In the meantime, the United States has ordered the evacuation of some staff and families from its embassy in the country. It, however, says the mission will remain open and core staff will continue working there. France, for its part, says it has concluded evacuation of its nationals and some foreigners who had indicated interest to leave Niger. That was Deji Badamosi reporting. Moving on to Asia, while calm has gradually returned to the worst affected areas in Beijing, neighboring Hebei province is still battling surging floodwaters. The national emergency response now sits at the second highest level for the region, with over 1.2 million residents relocated. The city of Zhuzhou is among the hardest hit in Hebei, where local authorities have deployed over 8,700 people to help with relief efforts. Chen Mengfei has more from Hebei. Floodwaters remain in Zhuzhou, posing a challenge to rescue those still trapped in heavily impacted areas. Rescue teams are facing longer travel times to reach the villages from the base camp. We dispatched the three boats this morning at 8 o'clock, only one has returned so far. It took back seven people. Delays are caused by equipment breakdowns and strong currents in the water. That there's new flood coming upstream. So all the smaller boats that don't have enough motor power to withstand the increased current have now been all called back to the shore. Unofficial statistics suggest more than 10,000 people have been rescued from flooded areas, and up to 10,000 people could be in need of further relief over the coming days. That was Chen Mengfei in Zhuzhou. Meantime, Typhoon Kanun has remained stationary over the East China Sea on Friday. The typhoon is expected to return to Japan's Okinawa Islands, raising fears of more destruction. It's already killed two people and injured more than 60 others in Japan, while it caused heavy rain and strong winds in eastern China. 
Chris Gilbert has more from Tokyo. Well, the storm has been easing around Okinawa's main islands. The uh, oceans have calmed, as have the ferocious rain and winds. There is a sense of cautious optimism, although the danger has not passed yet. Elements of normal life have begun to return. For the first time in days, from Thursday afternoon, flights uh, resumed or began resuming from Okinawa's main airports. Buses and trains also began running again, though greatly uh, disrupted depending on the state of the roads and lines. Uh, supermarkets began to also reopen, but evidence of the strength and impact of this storm can be seen everywhere. More than 100,000 households are still without power. Felled branches and uh, trees uh, are littered all over the islands. Uh, phone boxes, bike shelters, signs and billboards have been ripped up by the wind and uh, littered everywhere. And there have been uh, more than 60 injuries and at least two deaths. Now, there had been warnings and evacuations in the days leading up to uh, this storm. Uh, officials will now have to take charge of the cleanup, the repair of infrastructure, and generally take stock of the whole situation. Alarmingly, the typhoon is now threatening to turn back in on itself eastward, meaning the danger is not over yet. That was Chris Gilbert reporting. Finally in Europe, UNESCO is sounding the alarm about the city of Venice in Italy. It's one of the world's most popular tourism destinations. But all that tourism and climate change are taking a serious toll. Alex Fraser has more. Gondolas, canals and Gothic architecture. Venice is one of Europe's iconic cities. Around 50,000 people live in the city. But during peak times, it receives more than 110,000 visitors per day. Now UNESCO is warning Venice risks irreversible damage from both mass tourism and climate change. It says it should be added to a list of World Heritage Sites in danger. UNESCO blames authorities for a lack of overall vision to mitigate the impact of mass tourism. In 2022, 8.9 million people visited. Many Venetians want to see those numbers curbed. There is too much tourism, tourism that helps no one. They arrive in the morning and return home in the evening and they leave their rubbish here for the Venetians. There are too many people and Venice hasn't been respected. Venice's authorities want to introduce a daily charge for tourists entering the city to try to limit numbers. However, its implementation has been delayed several times. The city is also at risk from flooding. On Tuesday night, St Mark's Square was underwater. It's only the third time it's happened in August in the last 150 years. Since the activation of a barrier system in the lagoon in 2020 following record floods, the situation has improved. Despite this, rising global sea levels still remain a threat to the city's long-term future. In September, a UNESCO committee will meet in Saudi Arabia to review more than 200 locations and decide which ones will be added to the endangered list. Whether Venice is added or not, the city needs to find solutions for coping with millions of tourists and dealing with the effects of climate change. That was Alex Fraser reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to conspiring to overturn the 2020 election result. Protesters have taken to the streets of Niger in a peaceful demonstration, calling for an end to sanctions imposed by West African states. 
and Beijing has begun counting the costs from this week's devastating floods, while neighboring Hebei province is still battling surging waters. That concludes this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Do Hongyu. Thank you for listening.